of the Israelite priesthood as compared to today's believer in the context and the climate of the American church, all told through the eyes of a black girl. Mm -hmm. So for the next few weeks, as, as Pastor has uh, graciously invited us, we will be doing a series called Our Letters to the Church. Mm -hmm. And this is what the next generation of seniors sees as the needs of the church, the American church. So today I'm doing a reading from the book um, from a chapter called Raise Up, Viva La Revolution. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today just thanking you. Lord God, we honor you. We thank you for this opportunity to meet together here, Father God, under your umbrella, in your name, to give you praise and honor and glory that you so richly deserve. Lord God, we ask that you, you fill my belly with all that you, you want your people to know, with all that you want your people to hear, Father God, and we ask that you give them ears to hear, Lord God, and feet and hands to do, Lord God. Lord God, we ask that you touch everyone who's listening to the sound of your voice, Lord God, and we, we ask that you just um, continue to, to touch your church, continue to heal us, continue to repair us in the way that only you can, oh God. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me give you some context for our passage today. Uh, in 1 Samuel 2, we find that Phinehas and Hophni are uh, in the middle of corruption. Um, they are stealing from the people, the sacrifices, and they are stealing from God. And it's, it's gotten so bad that the people of Israel abhor, they hate, they despise sacrificing to God because of the actions of Phinehas and Hophni. And so the elders go to uh, Eli, who is the high priest at that time, their father, and Eli's job is to rebuke them. He's actually supposed to kill them because that's, that's the punishment, but he doesn't. He gives them a light slap on the hand, and he goes about his business. Well, that is not satisfactory to God, and God sends a prophet, and he condemns Eli. He tells him about his guilt and the guilt of his sons, and in the middle of that, toward the end, right before we get to uh, Samuel, God gives Israel a promise, and he says, then I will raise up for myself a faithful prophet who will do according to all that is in my heart and in my mind. And that's 1 Samuel 2, 35. And out of the mire of the priesthood and from Eli's ashes, Israel was made a promise and God initiated a shift. He purposed change for Israel hidden beneath the scathing rebuke for Eli, rolling away the old leadership God introduces his justice and his governance by a promise to promote a protestant priest. 
Eventually, we know that Samuel, whom God raised up in Israel's priesthood as a type and shadow of Christ, that he is, that Christ is the mediator for men and the sacrifice by which believers sin debt to God is satisfied. And however, that is not the end of the story, but it is our guarantee into his story. Now, because of Christ, all believers are called priests reconciling and compelling the unbeliever to God. For while the battle was won, won with the Lord's deeds on the cross, there are still souls that need to be recollected. The work simultaneously done by him is being done by his people so that his people show the love and the justice and the mercy and they walk humbly with their God so that others will see and praise God in heaven. And throughout history, God raises up the Samuels and the Calvins and the Luthers and the Martin Luther Kings and at different times to call his people back. For as is human proclivity, we are all constantly capable of fallibility and a great deal of self-destruction so that God condescends and rights humanity's wrongs, inciting a revolution. A revolution is a forcible overthrow of a government or a social order in favor of a new system. And I know, I know when we start talking about God and we start talking about revolution, white evangelical conservative Christian minds automatically spin to desperate uncomfortability. Partly because it's precisely their political religious system that he means to dismantle any talks of revolution or anarchy to their already anarchistic system than to deflect the necessary and fundamental upheaval of an abolishment of their system. They shade ideas like revolution with tones of atheism, mm -hmm. with defiance, with Marxism and rebellion, summoning their alt-right political spirit and igniting their base. Many of these so-called re religious professors have been political. They worship the idea of freedom and the revolt in the context of America, which was birthed and drenched in the blood of people, yet they despise any indication that opposes this rebellion, uh, any indication that opposes this land of the free ish, and that their idolistic worship of God cloaked in a flag. Blasphemously putting in God we trust on the money and heretically claiming that God, claiming God in allegiance to their flag, they constructed a system that is socially, morally, and purposely opposed to the, uh, to the driving principles of God. And perhaps it only proves all the more that theirs is the system that is ripe for revolution. Mm -hmm. And one that will be incited by God himself. <laughs> the modern idea of a political revolution hopes to restore human dignity and liberty. The people have stood in opposition to the ruling party either because they have opposed or, or they have been oppressed or taxed unfairly, not represented well, or being taken advantage of. Yet a godly revolution looks different. Surprisingly the same, but different. 
for in his revolution, there is no ruling party but his own. There is no oppressed, no fair, unfair taxation, no measurable inequity, for all are servants under his kingship. Yahweh's nature requires justice and mercy and adherence to his law and his principles established by the coming of his son and were governors that God put in charge abiding that are supposed to abide his standards fail he removes them and he replaces them with the next generation mm -hmm. giving them an opportunity to rule and establish his rule Therefore, if the system is not working, he does not deny it. He changes it in order to mimic his own. The verse says, then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do all according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do all that is in my heart and in my mind. God will raise up for himself a faithful priest, raise up from one, from nothing to revolt everything. Mm -hmm. Everything that does not look like him and everything that does not act like him and everything that, that does not smell like him. He is inciting a revolt. Mm -hmm. Generally, I find that conversations that begin with God and revolution, especially begun by a black girl, often incite deep accusations of liberation theology. The white evangelical conservative nationalist Christian digs in his heels and readies himself for the onslaught of quotes by people like James Cone, a transformative author of black theology, or Angela Davis, a civil rights activist and author. And though I am partial to the rebellious tendencies of Malcolm X and his understanding of the state of the Negro, I am not any of them. I just happen to believe in God's idea of justice, his bend towards grace, his aptitude for love, even in this dispensation, for our time was much like Samuel's time. And though we happen to be dealing with a pandemic and unemployment, they dealt, like us, with chaos at the highest levels, both political and religious, and those two became one. And still, even more in our African-American community and our churches, we are dealing with our own epidemic murdering of the marginalized, being marginalized by the American church. Black men are killed while the black community mourns the loss of brother and sister and sons. White evangelicals go to, go to work deflecting the fact that black people and therefore the black church experiences America differently, the home of the free-ish. <laughs> My son accidentally turned on Jimmy Swaggart a few weeks back to hear him talk about the protests and even the protesters describing them as thugs, saying that even evangelism was useless on these people because we might, you might convert one out of a thousand. Mm. He and his co-host said, they really don't want the gospel, so why waste your time? Let that sink in. He said, mm. they really don't want the gospel, so why waste your time? He said, on Christian TV, they really don't want the gospel, so why waste your time? Lord help us. 
And I wish I could say that that was the first time and the only time that I heard statements denying the community our First Amendment right and our right to free speech and our right to be black and our right to have an opinion and our right to live and our right to live and our right to live. In fact, since the protest started, it gotten to the point where listening to Bot Radio Network was just the Christianized version of Fox News. <laughs> with all the racialization and a wee bit of Jesus. And when I say a wee bit of Jesus, I mean a wee bit of Jesus. Jesus. Actually, a wee bit of the gospel. A wee bit of Jesus by not that, not Jesus, the the real Jesus, but the racist, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, golden calf, white evangelical Jesus. Mm -hmm. Not the one who said, blessed is the poor. Not the one who lived in the Middle East teaching and preaching like a poor man, telling us about himself and his father. Not that one. Mm -hmm. The one they were talking about was some Jesus I don't know. And though I know that Jimmy swaggered, it's hardly the poster child for healthy Christianity. Even, in, even mainstream preachers either speak out against those who are protesting or speak so loudly, they speak so deafening, they speak so chaotically through their silence. With their puffy red boxing gloves, they defend not just their understanding of America, but they ready their anti-social justice gospel gospel, preparing it for the masses. These men brace themselves for what they believe should, could be the next evolutionary steps in, in, in racial talks of America. They fear conversations that start with Jesus is a socialist and Jesus is a black man and Jesus is a revolutionary, which is actually true. These conversations were ones that were trying to avoid, um, I'm sorry, these conversations were the ones they were trying to avoid for it bumps against the Jesus that they identify with, their lifestyles identify with, their comforts identify with. So they prepare themselves and their congregations ahead of the blitz by discouraging topics of social justice preached in America's pulpits. And still, from the other side of their mouths, they weep and they wail about LGBTQ rights as if queer eyes are eyeing them, and they tear their clothes about babies being born and being aborted by Planned Parenthood across the country. And while that is a travesty, it's also hypocrisy. For they dismiss black lives and bolster unborn lives so that hashtag all lives really don't matter, no matter what the age. And the headline, Black Men Murdered by Police, that does not lend itself to the group with the same activism and the same passion in the same fashion. And headlines like these fall like rocks and grit the Pharisees dropped by Jesus' feet before the woman who committed adultery, and they fall like the clothes of Stephen the martyr by the feet of Paul. Of Paul. They are a wasted thing, a nil point, and no longer worthy of consideration. They fall like pretense, carelessness, and disdain in the hands of the American church before the eyes of the black believer. 
church leaders responded to the death of so many black men with a once and for all statement in 2018. It was a statement on social justice. John MacArthur and other Christian leaders, even some black pastors like Bonnie Bauchman, detailed with a lawyer's precision an airtight position of opposers' neutrality. In it, in, it enveloped what they believed should be the position of the church and church leadership concerning social issues. And talking about race, they said, race is not a biblical category. All sinful actions and their results, including evil perpetuated between and upon ethnic groups by others are to be confessed as sinful, repented of, and repudiated. But to whom are these men made to, to repent? To God, to be offended? And who, who will reject these acts? The church? The body? How? Well, they must go write another statement. The consequences of this statement claims, the consequences that this statement claims outweighs the author's own willingness to act. For up until this point, most of their pulpits have been silent, except to condemn organizations and slogans like Black Lives Matter as Marxists. They fail to address what the black church is forced to deal with in their community all the time, furthering the racial divide in the American church. The your community, your problem divide. The hope you fix that divide. The good luck with that divide so that the American church is reflective of America herself. The church of the free-ish. Stepping even further from the fray in issues of racism, the 2018 social justice statement states that just because people feel oppressed or feel prejudiced does not make it so. However, what is the measure by which prejudice is judged if not by the person who feels the oppression? And if it is only judged by, if it is not judged by that, is it only judged by the authors of the statement themselves? This is circular logic by which everyone is dizzy and no one is justified leaving the church barren and impotent and duplicitous by way of these leaders' proclamations. Neither then is justice addressed on behalf of these brethren and therefore not thoughtfully considered by the congregations, but their statement, neglect, their statement negates them of any responsibility to act to get involved, to show solidarity, to do, do, a verb, do, an action word, do, move towards something, and even if one chooses not to do, these issues could, could not even be lifted up sincerely in prayer if the one who's praying does not see the offense. For if the acts against the oppressed are not being believed by the oppressed and substantiated by the church, who will pray except for those who are affected? Who is left to cry out to God except for those mistreated so that the decision is left to the judge who judges all things? And who will judge between the deeds of all parties? Even those who claim to be the church will be judged by their actions or in this case, their inaction. The farce of the 2018 social justice statement denied that there is a reality of privilege, calling the oppressed entitled victims of oppression. 
The statement rejects the idea, saying that lectures on social justice or activism aims at reshaping the wider culture as not being vital to the life or the health of the church as preaching the gospel and the exposition of scripture. Except these, these issues are exactly vital to the life and the health of the church as they affect the body, that is, the people, that is, black people and their lives. This statement seems good on paper. They are saying nothing, that, that nothing rises above the gospel in the church, that teaching the gospel is the church's priority, that the pulpit's priority, and that is undeniable. That is exactly the church's job, to teach the scripture. But teaching only is not enough. Jesus did not merely teach, but he showed through his miracles, he exemplified his words. He made us, he made them an example and a picture to go along with the stories and the parables that he told. He showed them when he taught them. And through his example, we learned what it takes to reach the next generation and to educate the populace on what the gospel is and what it says to propagate teaching only in our churches and not doing church outside of church is the equivalent of faith without works. Amen. And James teaches about partiality in the church. He teaches about the duty of faith and works, that our profession of faith itself is not an answer to a need. That when a person has a need and we only offer a prayer, though we have the resources to fill that need, our faith becomes void. Because if it were real faith, we would have by faith given them what they needed. Right. Not to give is exactly faithlessness mm -hmm. and the neglect of the duty of the believer. That is the essence of the gospel message. We can teach that Christ lived and that he died and he raised to save us from our sins. But if that's where the gospel stops for us then we don't understand the entirety of the gospel message and why he saved us. Christ's death on the cross was the means by which men are saved, but saved to do what? To save, to live and to die? No, to live and to fight. God says, I am raising up for myself a faithful priest who will do all that is in my heart and in my mind. Do a verb, do an action word, do as opposed to sit and pray and only or only condemn and only write statements. And if we miss this, if we think that God called us to a life only to go to heaven, then we misunderstand the basic principles of God's glory in yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are a lamp on a hill. We are the salt of the earth, meaning that we shine to display his characteristics, his love and his justice and his mercy and his power. And how do we do that except by what we do? Except by our fruits, our works in faith and by faith. Christ died to save us from our sins so that we are no longer slaves to it, giving us the opportunity to choose between his glory and our fresh flesh, no longer working to satisfy the lusts of the flesh. We are now free to gratify the desires of the spirit. Mm -hmm. 
He made us unto good works, to pursue good works. And if we don't grasp that work, faith, confluence, we become less than the Pharisees in our actions and less than them in our theology. Mm. The gospel is the starting point and it is the end. He gave us to do the work in the middle. So that the gospel is where the believer is free to live in the love and the grace of God, not holding back his sacrifice and all that it was meant to do. The death of sin and sin on the cross, that old rugged cross is where we stand at the cross section of God's two greatest commandments. To love the Lord with all of thy heart, all of thy mind, all of thy soul, and all of thy strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. It is the beginning of us being able to honor God with obedience. The cross is where we become a part of God's family and where he saves us from his wrath. It is also where we are unleashed to do his work. To deny that the work of the gospel is a part of the gospel is to teach an ineffective gospel. It builds a lazy, nominal, pansy Christian. And that's exactly what we have. That's exactly what we've bred here. Lazy, nominal, pansy Christians. Come on. They know the gospel phrasing. Come on. They can understand the gospel words. They've even remixed to make it religious. <laughs> Yet they have not retained what it means to work the gospel. Come on. Or understand that Jesus got on the cross for us to be able to work the word, which enables faith, which spurs revelation, which spawns revolution. For them, the gospel has become feathers that flit away at the slightest wind. It has built no roots, no grip. It has not inched itself from the ground towards heaven and God in his heavenlies. Faith has become faithless words. It has no meat, no raw passion for evolution of the seed, no growth of fruit. Yeah. James establishes that the essence of faith is action, recognized and backed by the power of the gospel and the true and the living God. It does not and it cannot sit in the pew on Sunday afternoon. It's an explosive force. It makes a sound. It is known. It's brash and it's bold, and it's vibrant, and it impacts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. That uncut faith is what stirs in the loins of the warrior to join the revolution. Beginning with repentance, mm -hmm. the rebellion starts a hardy road to understanding the gospel. That is taking care of the poor. That is loving and fighting for the disenfranchised. That is standing up for those who have little strength to stand up for themselves. And most of all, is bringing folks to bear face to face with God. Mm. Not frivolous re re religion. Not practice. Not, not idolatry like we do today. But God unfiltered, unraw, and unabashed in his love and his life. That's what the revolutionary does. God raised Samuel provoking his uprising. Samuel was to be a revolutionary. And as a matter of fact, God, the ones that God calls out are agents of reform. David, Gideon, Samson, Jesus. 
subversives determined to revive and create a new order and system where God is at the helm and Israel lived out their purpose. God raises up those who go against the grain of the status quo so that he achieves his standard of normality, which is a relationship with him dripping with repentance and, and freedom and communication and love and justice and mercy and humility. These are those he has fixed to mirror him. And as such, they grind and they drive until the goal is achieved boldly and his purpose is fulfilled. Yahwehism and Christianity needed rebel warriors or else they would fall carelessly into comfort and conformity and complicity. And with that, God raises up and is raising leaders craving obedience and victory. They are soldiers who yearn for the battlefield and are built for the fight. Samuel's calling was that of a warrior. Mm. He was to be an insurgent placed within the religious system of Israel and the priesthood to witness the buildup of what God had planned to tear down. And then he watched God build it up again. These times beg for more. Not just protesting in the streets, though there is a place and a space for that. But a return to the heart of God, which yearns for his people. And a heart that brings others to the body of Christ. Not just under pretense, not just under religion, but in truth and with the spirit. But we have not... Why have we not discerned the things of the chimes in the church? And why have we not coveted the opportunity for evangelism? These are the times that are hopeless for so many. They are wrought with fear and beg for God's intervention. Yet the church leadership, the white evangelicals who set the religious tone for the American church, are quiet to address the issues of today. And even blacks in our black churches, making them blind guides and so pervasive and so perversive in, in their influence that even our black pastors are taking their cues from the silence from their white counterparts, the reformers. How can they be called reformers when they don't actually reform anything? <laughs> so that our pastors, too, are refusing to rock the boat by the rock of the church that, was, that the church was built on, the gospel, the real gospel. They're afraid to be decisive, afraid to be divisive, afraid to be labeled as the outcast. They say nothing so that progress is not made in the church and no dialogue is forced to be opened. This is the definition of church as usual. This is the old paradigm that needs to shift because no one moves and no one grows and blacks, especially young blacks, are turned off by the carelessness and the hypocrisy and the level of irrelevance the churches have delegated themselves to. The church is bleeding people. And is there no one to stop it? Is there no one to raise up? And while the prospect of the church and the church is seeing Graham, I can hear in my spirit a rumble. And I hear the faint sound of djembes and the rhythmic marching 
of a nation, even a nation of priests. The revolution is in the air. I can smell the burning embers, and I can see the smoke rise on the horizon. God is birthing a nation of rebels and insurgents and revolutionaries. And with his sword strapped to his thigh, wading through a field of blood, Jesus, the warrior king, will lead his soldiers into battle and in unison beating their chests and dancing the haka with fight writhing in their blood. It courses through their veins, the blood of their father, the blood of their brother, the blood of the champion, the blood of the Messiah, the blood of the Christ. And just as he championed on that cross, Jesus is shouting through his people for such a time as this, Viva la Revolution! Raise up! Hello, this is Pastor Jay with Walking Truth Radio Podcast and Senior Pastor of Walking Truth Christian Fellowship Church. I want to thank you today for tuning in and I want to praise you for praying for this ministry. We are growing by leaps and bounds. If you would like to support this ministry and give a donation, look in the description. We have Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. But most importantly, we need your prayers. So I just want to thank you again for coming along on this journey, and we will see you on the other side.